The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This evening I'd like to continue a consideration of a topical survey of 1 John as an introduction to the Gospel of John. And last time we considered the new birth, and this evening, Lord willing, we want to consider one of the effects of that new birth, which is belief. Belief. Let's go to John chapter 20. As I've told you quite a few times, that this verse is the theme of the Gospel of John. You have to understand the environment that the Gospel of John was written in with the Gnostic heresy that was so prevalent in the latter half of the first century that denied the eternal divinity of Jesus Christ. And we really need to understand that with the way that the Holy Spirit penned the Gospel of John and 1 John, it was to combat the heresy of denying that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, that he was divine for all of eternity, okay? So therefore, the Holy Spirit inspired the Gospel of John in such a way, in a unique way from the other three synoptic Gospels, to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt through the Scriptures the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ through many witnesses. John chapter 20 and in verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you need to believe, but also there is a, he, he speaks in John chapter 10 about, I came to give life, but I came to give it more abundantly. There's an abundant life that's just waiting out there for God's children, and that by believing you might have life through his name. And belief in Christ is the uh, entrance way into the kingdom. You know, justification by faith in Romans chapter 5 is described as when we are justified by faith, then we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. Yeah. So active faith is belief, and the first entrance into the kingdom, the first entrance into pressing into the kingdom is joining the church. And how do you join the church? By publicly professing a belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, right? So that's the beginning of the abundant life. That's the beginning of laying hold on what God has given us. So let's go to uh, just a few verses in the Gospel of John, and then we'll make our way to 1 John. And since this is <clears throat> tied so closely to the new birth, you, you will see some very similar uh, verses in the Gospel of John uh, that we read last time. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, and in verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Present tense is currently in possession right. of eternal life. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. Right? They're already born again. That's an evidence that they are already born again. Belief is not the cause by which you are born again. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life 
and shall not come into condemnation, but is past, right, is already born again from death unto life. Um, I want to highlight just a few more verses that describe belief and the person that is already in current possession of eternal life when they believe. John chapter 3 and in verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He's in current possession of everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now that's the kind of language that we see very often in the epistle of First John, right? It is a up or down, black and white, love and hate, belief or rejection epistle, right? Uh, there's no middle ground. And uh, I think I think the Apostle John, who uh, the uh, Holy Spirit used to pen uh, the book of Revelation, I think that he agreed with uh, the Holy Spirit or with Jesus Christ when he wrote that, those letters to the uh, seven churches, particularly he wrote to the church at Laodicea. I think he felt like that being lukewarm uh, made him just as sick to his stomach as it made Jesus Christ. <laughs> so in his mind, there's no lukewarm, right? You are either all in or you're all out. Now, as we've said multiple times, we are glad for the rest of Scripture that gives us a little bit more of a comfort. <laughs> uh, especially, I think about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself, right? That gives me a lot of comfort. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't get near as much comfort from First John because uh, he's so harsh on people that are not as devoted and committed as they ought to be. But belief is an evidence that someone has already been born again. Okay? And that's one of the most important things that we need to understand. Let's just go ahead and go to First uh, John, and let's go to verse. Let's go to chapter four first. First John, chapter four, <clears throat> beginning in verse one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul was very concerned about the church being beguiled by Satan, that they would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And he told many churches in the New Testament, particularly uh, the Galatian church and in Galatians chapter 1, that if any man comes, bring another gospel, and even if he says that he got that message uh, or an angel from heaven told him about that message, then you reject them because it's, it's not the gospel. It's another gospel, and Satan is, being, is influencing that false prophet bringing a false gospel to deceive God's people and to put them in bondage. So therefore, in this environment where, where the church was, was on fire and busting at the seams and baptizing people daily and multitudes being added to the church, well, what did Satan do? Well, he, he stirred up 
false apostles to try to confuse God's people, right? And then God put uh, some, one of the purposes of these miraculous gifts that we see in the early New Testament. Paul says that I have displayed the signs of an apostle to validate who was true at that time, okay? You know, uh, you know I think about uh, in regards to the signs of the apostle, um, there was, you know, I don't understand necessarily why God has seen fit to do this, but he gave a degree of latitude uh, to the Egyptian magicians. If you remember when they had those plagues, he gave them a degree of latitude to kind of do something similar to what Moses did up to a point, <laughs> right? And in my mind, it's like, why does he even give them that much of a rope? You know, why does he give them that much room? Uh, but the uh, apostles came, like many uh, false teachers and prophets today, proclaiming that they could heal people, proclaiming they could do all this stuff. But then there came the real signs of an apostle that would validate who the true apostles were, kind of like when you got to some of those later plagues there in Egypt. Well, guess what? The Egyptian uh, magicians, they couldn't replicate those because... Uh, these could only come from the Lord, okay? So this was an environment where there were many false prophets. There were many false apostles that were, that were out among the church. So therefore, you need to be like the noble Bereans. You need to test everything by the word of God. Search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. But the real litmus test, he says here, the real... Uh, plumb line, the real d dividing factor between a false prophet that is going to deceive you and lead you, a wolf in sheep's clothes that's going to lead you away from God instead of lead you to God and to the cross, the real litmus test is whether they confess and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. Okay? So he says here in verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. So you need to test it. How do you test it? Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already, it is it in the world. Now that can be very disconcerting, right? But also don't be too concerned. Verse 4, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Praise God for that. Now, in this environment here in the first century that the Apostle John has been moved by the Spirit to write, there were people that were claiming to be apostles of Christ that were denying the divinity of Jesus Christ. And it's almost amazing to me that someone could look at the Gospel of John, look at all four of the Gospels, look at all of the New Testament, and, and then not just the things that Christ did, but the way in which things were prophesied hundreds of years beforehand by all of these people from different backgrounds, all of these aspects, there's no possible way that this could be a divine conspiracy, right? It's, right. it's impossible, okay? 
So you have hundreds of years of prophecies and, and men with great mass skills have determined the probability of all those, those prophecies happening randomly in one person. And they're so big we can't even fathom the numbers. There's just no way that Jesus is anything other than the Messiah and the Son of God. Amen. Based on the testimony of Scripture. Okay? But even today, there are some groups which, by the way, the Apostle Paul warned... You know, he knew uh, the Holy Spirit and the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen in the future when men were going to start trying to corrupt God's word. There were men that said, oh, an angel from heaven came down and gave me this new revelation. And that has either supplemented or superseded the canon of scripture. And there are uh, people who different religious groups that are based solely on that and primarily Islam and Mormonism, yeah. okay? Primarily those two. And you want to know what they both have in common? They, de they deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. Right. You don't know where that came from? You know, I don't know any Mormons personally, okay? But if I met one, or if they knocked on my door, and I happened to be home, uh, I hope that I would receive them warmly and be kind to them because I'll tell you, those are the people who need the gospel more than anybody yeah. to be saved from and bless their heart, I know they don't know it but the, but the Apostle John and the Holy Spirit makes no bones about it, they are believing to a degree the spirit of Antichrist right. they need to be saved from that and no doubt some of God's children are deceived in that thinking they're serving the Lord but deceived the spirit of Antichrist, <clears throat> denying that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Let's back up to chapter 2. Back up to chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and you have heard that Antichrist shall come. And I believe that's referring to the prominent teaching in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talked about, uh, taught it very prevalently, especially to the Thessalonian church, that there was a man that will come at the end of time that is called the man of sin, and he is the exact opposite of Christ. Yeah. But you don't need to be overly concerned about the man of sin, supposedly the Antichrist. What you need to be more concerned about is the spirit of Antichrist that has been around ever since the uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay? You are looking for one man in the future, but don't have all your, all your attention focused on one man in the future and be deceived by all of these prevalent uh, false teachers around you. Even now, are there many antichrists, many people that are preaching that spirit of antichrist, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us. Okay, those that not sincere children of God that fell into sin, that struggled with uh, different aspects of discipleship and they weren't as diligent as they needed to be. This is not describing struggling children of God, a, a sheep that's straying away from the fold. Okay? This is someone that believes the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? This is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And eventually the wolf will manifest its wolf features. 
Uh, it's interesting, the, uh, is it the flu commercial that's been going around with the wolf in sheep's clothing and it finally makes his way to the ER and guess what? <laughs> the, uh, the sheep wool finally comes off and guess what? It's a wolf. It's a wolf. Eventually that will be manifested. So they went out from us because they were not of us. Okay, that's not talking about a, a lost sheep straying away from the fold. That's talking about uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing going back to the pack of wolves. Okay, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us, okay? Let's go to uh, verse 22. Actually, let's just read straight through. Verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you, because ye know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Okay? I mean, there's no middle ground, is there? It's either Christ or Antichrist. It's believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God or that exhibiting evidence that at a minimum... A child of God is deceived and they don't understand the implications of what they're saying or that could also be indicative of them not being born again. Let's uh, let's skip down to chapter 3 and in verse 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. And there, he's just finished a discussion on love. Verse 14, we know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And we don't just love in verse 18. We don't just love in word and tongue. We love in deed and in truth. There needs to be actions that back that up. But... Let's also not lose sight of the fact as we talk about obedience to God's commandments that belief on Jesus Christ is a commandment. Okay? It's a commandment. Verse 23. And this is His commandment. You know? The apostles preached in, uh, in the book of Acts. God has called upon... There's, there's times that He winked at certain degrees of ignorance. But now the time has come where he calls on all men everywhere to repent. Every man are, all men are under the same obligation to acknowledge the power and the divinity of Jesus Christ. But some people, it's foolishness to them here in time. But I also love that the scriptures record it, it is uh, incumbent upon all of creation to worship its creator. And there may be some people who hate God here in time. Even some of these uh, false prophets and false apostles, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they may hate Jesus here in time. But boy, it, it just, 
feels very gratifying to me to know that even those that pierced Jesus will bow, will bow down at the last day, and at that day they will acknowledge that he's the Son of God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay? There will be no denying it. But all of mankind is under the command of God to believe and to repent. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, none of us would do it, right? We'd run the other way. We have no capacity to do that in and of ourselves. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and, and he in him, hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit by which he hath given us. <clears throat> As primitive Baptists, we have a real problem of being afraid to simply draw the line where Scripture draws the line. Instead of over-responding to people who either preach heresy or take incorrect positions. So, over the years, in trying to hold the line against gospel regeneration, it seems that we always focus on the negative. You know? right. No men are not born again by the gospel. They're not born again by their belief. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. There's also many that believe that all of the elect will hear and believe the gospel and, and be evangelized in a gospel sense. And the scriptures don't support that. But instead, we focus on the negative and say, oh, no, 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 no. All of God's children are not going to hear. Well, you know what? Inevitably, with a multitude that's as vast as no man can number, there is no way that you can place the preached gospel out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue of that elect family. The problem is that we always, from the Baptist, have always had a communication problem. Yeah. We've always had an emphasis problem. We've always had a focus problem. And therefore, people have got wrong impressions of us. Surprise, surprise. You know, uh, is, it, is it true is it true that there is someone that is probably in the Mormon faith that currently denies that Jesus come in the flesh, that he is a born-again child of God, and he's just deceived, and he's going to be in heaven with the Lord at the end of time? Yes. Yes. At the same time, do I have the right to go to every Mormon and pat him on the back and say, you know what, you're sincere. It looks like you love the Lord. Uh, I can't wait to see you in heaven. I don't have the authority to do that. You know, is it a, is it a reality at, that God has a people of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that there are some people currently worshiping in mosques under the Islamic faith that have a fear of God, that have a desire to worship a higher deity, but they've never heard of anything other than Allah, and they know it's wrong. I mean, I don't believe in going and killing people. I don't believe in, in jihad and all this stuff, but I have a desire to worship a higher deity, and the only knowledge I have is Islam. I believe there are children of God at the moment that are currently doing that in ignorance that are going to be in heaven at the end of time. But I also don't have the right to look at a Muslim who seems to have a nice conversation with me and say, you know what, I can't wait to see you in heaven. No. 
the only means of assurance for a child of God from us, yeah. from us, right. is belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Amen. Now, as Primitive Baptists, what we do is we take a position that is such an extreme from the bad positions that we go around telling everybody, well, you know every child of God is not going to hear and believe the gospel, right? You know, you know. You know God didn't choose everybody, right? You know God don't love everybody, right? Instead, all we do is focus on the negative. You know what? There is no reason for me to, because I don't know. I mean, I don't know the percentage of God's children that will be unevangelized. I don't know the percentage of all that. The only thing that I'm called to do is preach the gospel and minister to the sheep. (laughs) And when I see someone that believes, I don't have to go around making excuses. Well, you know what? This is the whole group of people that are never going to hear the gospel. Is that a biblical truth? Yes, it's a biblical truth. But why would I spend all of my time focuses on the people who are possibly never going to hear it? Right? (laughs) Right? If you're under the sound of my voice, then you've at least heard it. I mean, you may reject it, but you've at least heard it. So therefore, that's not really a relevant topic. (laughs) It's a biblical truth. But why, why have I heard so many sermons almost wasting an hour proving to people what Primitive Baptists already know and believe. You you don't have to spend an hour convincing us of what we already believe, you know? Boy, we we build the best straw mans, and preachers have the funnest time tearing them down, you know? No, we need to teach the sheep what they need to know and not not for our own vanity build up these straw men just so we can feel better by tearing them down, okay? And I believe that we have de-emphasized belief. We've de-emphasized faith. Faith. Now, uh, hold on. Let's, yeah, let's talk about faith for a minute. I think we have time to do that. First <clears throat> John chapter 5 and in verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It talks about... Um, it talks about... inner man verse chapter 3 and verse 9 whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin okay for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God so there is something that resides inside the child of God that cannot be corrupted and one of the one of the divine attributes of that seed of Jesus Christ that resides inside of us is faith, okay? But God's called us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, God's called us to work out what God's worked in. Amen. But when you work it out, you can't take credit for it because it's God which worketh in you, right. both to will and to do for his good pleasure, okay? But there's a distinct difference in Scripture between the indwelling nature of Jesus Christ of vital faith and then the active external expression of that faith that is primarily characterized by belief. Okay? There's a significant difference in that. And the indwelling nature of God will always overcome the world. I mean, is there any possibility that one child of God, it doesn't matter what abject sin they're living in when they die, is there any chance because of their environment, because of their situation that they're in at the moment that they die, that the world is going to overcome that child of God and it's not going to go to heaven? Well, no, of course not. That soul is going to go immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ. But 
There are many children of God that have their faith, active faith of belief overcome. I mean, we talked, we referenced earlier, uh, uh, second Timothy chapter two, right? If we believe not, he's talking about people that have had their faith overthrown. They were deceived by surprise, surprise, false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus saying that the resurrection was passed already and children of God got deceived. Now, do you need to be concerned that, that the eternal covenant of grace that was made before the world began is crumbling? No. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, right? I don't need to be concerned that, oh, this child of God over here, to my uh, vantage point, is, is not living in the manner that they ought. To my vantage point, they're, they're falling away from the faith of steadfast commitment. Oh, the, the foundations are crumbling. No, don't be concerned about that. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, right? Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. We don't always know who uh, all of the elect are right. because all the elect don't always act like the elect. Yeah. You know, some of the elect don't, uh, they may have a conviction and, and believe in the Lord in private, but some of them uh, don't have the boldness to stand up in faith and publicly profess Jesus Christ. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's there. Not there. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So what I'm saying is, we have also built the wrong trench too far in the other direction, being terrified of Reformed Calvinism, that you are not eternally justified by faith. You're not. You're not. But what have we done? We've de-emphasized justification by faith. You see? Just rightly divide the scripture. And Prudent Baptist, bless our heart, we're so terrified of what other people think. Oh man, somebody, I I say that we're saved by faith and somebody's going to misinterpret what I say. Well, you know what? If they misinterpret, that's their problem. You know? I preach what the scripture says. And want to divide it like the scripture says. And if people misinterpret what I say, I think I have a cell phone just like everybody else, by the way. <laughs> I feel like Primitive Baptist have my cell phone number. Call me. Text me. Okay? But we're terrified of, oh, somebody's going to hear some snippet. Somebody's going to think this and that. Okay? Look, just preach what the Bible says. And everything takes care of itself. But we're terrified of Reformed Calvinism. So we don't preach justification by faith. <laughs> Listen. That is one of the most prevalent topics in the entire New Testament is justification by faith. And when you don't preach it, when you don't preach it, let's go to uh, let's go to Romans chapter five real quick. This is what you are preventing God's children. If you don't preach it properly, you're you are. I want to I want to make this as kind as I can. Okay. Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees that there were people that were entering in that you hindered them from entering into the... You prevented them from entering into the kingdom. And when we de-emphasize justification by faith, what you are doing is you are blocking access into the fullness of the abundant life for God's children. Amen. Okay? Romans chapter 5 and in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access 
by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only are you restricting their access, but you're quenching their joy. Amen. You rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the last thing I ever want to do is block the door of justification by faith for any child of God. I want, I, I want to do the opposite. I want to point them towards the door and open it up as much as I can. Because I want that child of God to experience the power of the gospel of, of having full access to the, the grace that you are eternally saved by. And boy, that gives you rejoice and, and hope of the glory of God. Amen. I don't want to restrict any child of God's enjoyment of that because of me being terrified of people thinking I'm a Reformed Calvinist. Okay? Amen. We need to preach justification by faith. <laughs> because, and we also need to emphasize belief. Amen. Belief. You know, and, I, and I've been guilty of this. I've a... Uh, um, you know, I try to preach the whole counsel of God, and, and uh, I don't necessarily preach on this every Sunday, but, you know, I heard a minister say not that long ago that in every single sermon, you know, we're supposed to preach, preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In every single sermon, it should be, at least by the end of it, it should be turned and pivoted to such a degree that you call on God's children to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Amen. Every single sermon. And I've, done, I've not done a very good job of that. Right. Yeah. Okay? Okay? But every single sermon by the end of it. And, you know, we're afraid of that too. You know, because guess what? Guess what? People that preach the first 55 minutes wrong, they actually do what they ought to do in the last two minutes. You know? Mm -hmm. You know, we're afraid of an altar call. Guess what? We need to have an altar call. We need to call on God's children based on... The word of God and what you've heard. We need to call on them to repent and believe. <laughs> now, we know the effect of it, right? That's not how you get into heaven. But it's allowing you to press further into that grace wherein you already stand. You know, we should close our messages that way. With a implication, and with an admonition and exhortation that you need to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about people joining the church. Every one of us goes through this daily cycle of, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Yeah. This daily cycle, okay? And when I call on you to repent and believe, you say, well, I got baptized 50 years ago. That didn't apply to me. It, it applies to you every single day. Yeah. Why? Because every single day, those that are uh, the just, what are the just called to do? Live by faith and walk by faith. And you want to know how that's exhibited? How that's practiced? How active faith is, is played out? Belief. Right? Amen. Belief. That's right. We're not just talking about joining the church. Okay. <clears throat> First John chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begot of him. Let's go to verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is great. For this is the witness of God, which hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. If you believe, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is already there. Which, uh, stay right there. I want to get this language from 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3, where he says this very succinctly. Wherefore, I give you to understand, 
that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Okay? So if you see someone confessing, what's that evidence of? The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is already in there. And, that's, and that belief is coming out because the Spirit of God resides in, the witness already resides inside of him, okay? He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. And let's skip to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now that, at first glance, that may look a little redundant, okay? He's calling on you to believe. But the people he's calling on to believe have already believed. Right. Okay? Well, what does that mean? Well, the just have to live by faith. <laughs> Keep on believing every day. That's right. Okay? But God penned this for us so that we would have assurance, okay? God does not intend for his children to be walking around, wringing their hands with the yoke of bondage around their neck, doubting if they are going to go to heaven, you know, preachers that are scaring people to say, if this happened, or uh, are you really right with the Lord? You're probably, and if you haven't done X, Y, Z, then, and you die today, then you're going to go to hell, Okay? The purpose of the gospel is to provide peace and assurance and knowledge, right? And you can know by faith. You know, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't have um, an advanced copy of the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, I, I don't have an advanced copy of the Lamb's Book of Life, but I can see people that love the Lord, and I can see people that have professed a belief in Him, not just one time and then living like the world, but diligently serving Him. You know, Paul wrote the Thessalonian church, knowing, brethren, your brother beloved, your election of God. Okay? Now, why did he say that? Because you were just simply kind and courteous. Now, love, agape love, is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? But... Just because you're kind and courteous, but you deny Jesus Christ, I don't have any, any right to pat you on the back and say, no, and brother and beloved, your election of God. Why did he say that? Because our gospel came unto you not in word only, right? But in power. I saw the, the effect, and I didn't just see you believe it. You know, John said, you need to bring forth some fruits, meat for appearance. Well, he saw, he saw them Thessalonians throwing out all their graven images. Okay. Well, that, that's fruits meet for repentance, isn't it? You see? He saw something in them that he provided them confidence and assurance by the gospel that they were among God's children. Okay? And that's the purpose of the gospel. That you will know. The purpose of the gospel is not to make you doubt. And I can say that very confidently, because I know me saying that is foolishness if you're unregenerate. It doesn't make any sense to you. You know, um, I, I can have a confidence. I was talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know definitively that my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Or other people that I, when I, in my head, if I preach their funeral, I can say along with Paul, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. I feel like I can confidently say that. Why? I don't, I don't have knowledge that their name 
is written on that book, but I, it means something. And I don't, I don't have knowledge, direct knowledge that my name is written on there, but it gives you a lot of uh, knowledge and excitement when you feel like the reading of the will applies to you, though. That makes you feel like an heir, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, uh, that makes you feel like an heir. That makes you feel like that I'm among God's children by the witness and the testimony of the Holy Ghost. So uh, if this message resonates with you, and if you have not joined a primitive Baptist church and been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, then you need to do that. But for those of you that have been baptized already, then you need to repent and believe today too. <laughs> you need to keep on believing. But also, when we fail every day, also have that sweet, blessed assurance to know, not by any confidence of our own works, but by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, that we hope that we're among God's children. We have a confident expectation. Why? Because we love the Lord, no doubt. But because I have a desire and I believe on it. You see, if you believe on the Lord, uh, there is no one that can tell you that you're going to hell biblically. Now, there may come a time where some people, you know, think about Simon Magus, you know, he professed to believe he was baptized, but there came a time where the fruits manifested, okay? But my, my default reaction should not be to, to doubt someone when they profess a belief. If it's not sincere, the evidence of that will inevitably come out, okay? So all of God's people, God's called upon all men everywhere to repent. And we need to live an active faith, believing the Lord. If you haven't joined the church, you need to do that. But I, I believe we can all uh, have the prayer this evening. Lord, I believe. Lord, but please still help thou my unbelief. Amen. Right? We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.